Hey y'all, welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. It's really good to have you here today. We are having a real talk today, you and I. On this show before, we've talked about eco anxiety, this feeling of fear surrounding climate doom. And for a lot of people, this can be crippling. This can be chronic. Dealing with eco-anxiety is no joke, and I'm going to go ahead and link in the show notes some resources, some previous episodes where we've talked about eco-anxiety and spoken with really brilliant experts around living and dealing with this fear of climate doom. But the ugly stepsister of eco-anxiety is eco-guilt, and that's what I want to talk about today. Eco-guilt is a special type of guilt that arises when you feel like you haven't met your personal standards or societal standards for your environmental behavior. You feel guilty because you are not buying the sustainable product. You feel guilty because you are not taking the sustainable transportation option. You feel like there is a level of failure in how you are interacting with the environment day to day. Ego guilt is an especially nasty feeling because you're measuring yourself against standards that are relatively superficial. You are the one that's deciding what is sustainable enough, or your community is deciding what is the right environmental thing to do. And if anyone understands eco-guilt, I promise it is me. I have gone through the ups and downs of what it means to be a true, honest, good environmentalist. And if I've learned anything in this sustainability journey in the last few years, I want to share this sentiment with you. There is a point where you need to give yourself grace and step back. There's a point where you have to allow yourself to indulge, for lack of a better word. It is not all on you. I think the issue with eco-anxiety and eco-guilt paired is this sense of personal responsibility. And I think personal action is really important. There is a conversation that comes up all the time in this environmental space of personal action versus collective action. Personal action being what you and I are doing. Again, those sustainable transportation options, opting for the more climate conscious product, whatever that may mean. And collective action is things like policy change. It's things like community level climate commitments. It's things like corporations taking sustainability seriously. And when you think about scale, it's definitely easy to say that collective action is more important. However, I want to advocate for both. I think that there is space for both, and I think that personal action very severely informs that collective action. So if we have a community of folks that are really passionate about creating an ultra-low-waste community, folks who are advocating for recycling and composting programs and community-level e-waste recycling events, Who is that collective electing? Those personal choices add up to a collective choice, a collective decision, a pressure on a body of local politics, a body of a corporation. Personal action really allows for a bottom-up approach or a grassroots approach to sustainability long-term and climate commitments long-term. One of my favorite examples of personal action informing collective action is around hairspray activism, actually, of the late 80s, early 90s. I learned about this example from Tanya Hester, who is the author of Wallet Activism. She was on the show last fall, and I'm going to go ahead and insert a clip of her explaining this really wonderful period of time where the people got policy change. Yeah, for those who are too young to remember this, um, (laughs) for for folks my age, I'm, I'm 42, 
we remember really clearly in the late 80s and early 90s, scientists started sounding the alarm about, okay, there's this hole in the ozone layer that wasn't exactly scientifically accurate, as I'm sure you well know, um, but it was an evocative term to say, okay, we, we are damaging parts of our upper atmosphere that play a really important role in protecting us from UV radiation. And, and people really got it. You know, I think there was really clear science communication then. But what happened is you had individual world governments slowly taking action and then eventually banding together to take action. But at the same time, you had consumers say, oh, wow, this thing that, you know, most, most of the ozone harming chemicals came in spray cans of various items. So spray paints, spray deodorant, hairspray, because you have to remember this was like late eighties, early, early nineties, the heyday of hairspray. <laughs> and, um, and people really took it seriously. And you can see very dramatic shifts in consumer buying patterns and what types of products sold or didn't sell. A lot of the big brands reformulated their products to make, you know, a spray deodorant into something that was roll-on or something like that, or um, making the hairsprays non-CFC propellant based. And it was such a good example of where the progress that we made, because ultimately the problem was essentially fixed. You know, it's, it's not perfect, but we're getting there and it's a, a multi-decade thing to truly fix the ozone layer, but we're actually a ahead of schedule in terms of making that progress. But it's a great example of where that was only possible because we had both policy action and consumer action. And it was a relatively small number of consumers who started to change their ways that forced the big corporations to start reformulating and paying attention and saying like, oh, we need to meet this different consumer demand. So I really love that example. And I love talking about it, especially among folks who understandably are skeptical that we can really make a difference with our individual choices. I, I get that skepticism. And I think for the most part, corporations want you to be skeptical about that because they don't want you to change your buying habits. And so they would love for you to believe that your, your actions don't matter. Um, but I think the ozone example shows that they do, they absolutely do, but that we sort of have to approach the big problems from both sides. It's not just policy action or just individual consumer action. What if I told you there was a product out there to help tackle your impact on the climate crisis by using it just once a day? There is, and believe it or not, it's actually a credit card. Introducing the Aspiration Zero credit card. Aspiration Zero is the first credit card that fights climate change by planting trees with every single swipe. The way it works is really simple. With an Aspiration Zero credit card, you plant two trees with every purchase you make, and two trees soak up about the same amount of CO2 from the air as the average American puts out every day. And along with the reward of knowing that you've turned buying a latte into a way to do your part to save the planet, you get the other kind of green reward too, cash. Unlimited 1% cash back on all monthly purchases when you hit carbon zero for the month. I've worked with Aspiration before, I've talked about them before, I've talked about divesting and big banks before, and I really believe in the Aspiration model, so I encourage you to check them out. Thanks to people like you, like me, Aspiration has made a huge impact and already planted 75 million trees. Make your dollars make a difference. Apply for the Aspiration Zero credit card today and earn a $300 welcome bonus after spending $3,000 in your first 90 days. Apply right now at aspiration.com ecochic to go carbon neutral effortlessly and earn a $300 bonus. Go to aspiration.com ecochic. The Aspiration Zero MasterCard is issued by Beneficial State Bank, pursuant to license by MasterCard International Incorporated. Good credit required. Terms and conditions apply. The link will be in the show notes. Don't tell everyone, don't 
If collective action and personal action are both just as important in seeing climate solutions come to fruition, what does that mean for your eco-guilt? I'm not going to tell you it doesn't matter, because eco-guilt, to some extent, is a motivator. It helps you make those choices day to day. It's you choosing to be the best, most environmentally conscious version of yourself and really speaking your values into existence. But recognizing that collective action is just as important as personal action and vice versa means that there's also a limit to your ego guilt, or perhaps you should self-inflict a limit to this ego guilt. I know that's easier said than done, and a lot of ego guilt is perhaps because you feel like the folks around you aren't making the quote-unquote right choices for the environment. Perhaps you feel like you're making up for something else or someone else. But self-inflicting a boundary around eco-guilt and self-imposing these limits of where your environmentalism stops, so to speak, is going to be important for your mental health. We can't do it all, and we're never going to win, and there's never a point where your eco-guilt is satisfied. You feel like you are the perfect environmentalist and you've done everything that there is to do. There's not really anything you can do to alleviate those feelings of guilt and anxiety when it comes to these, again, self-inflicted, self-defined standards for environmental goodness. There is a level of awareness and comfort that you have to come to, and I know, again, easier said than done, but there's a point where you have to say, I have done enough. I've done my research on this company and I am buying this product in good faith. I've done everything I can to encourage my local politics to do X, Y, and Z, and I am going to continue doing my own thing or doing what I can, given the constraints of my community. There's something very preachy about saying, give yourself grace when it comes to environmentalism, but I kind of like to relate this environmental goodness or these standards that we self-inflict to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There's a point where you have to reach this enlightenment where you say, I get it, I know I've done enough, I know that I'm good enough, and I'm at peace with it. And if someone out there is like, Laura, what are you talking about? We're not doing enough. The climate commitments that we have made are just not going to be met. 2.5 degrees C is around the corner. And my friends, I get it. I think about climate change all day, every day. I have these feelings of eco-guilt and eco-anxiety. But let me tell you, my life got exponentially better when I came to peace with what my personal actions meant for the larger picture of the climate crisis. I'm not saying give up. I'm not saying stop doing what you're doing. I'm telling you that you are doing a great job and progress over perfection every day. A little bit of pressure is good. A little bit of pressure motivates you to do better. But where we are now, where you are now, I promise you're doing the best that you can possibly be doing, given the information, given the constraints, given everything that you have going on. Let's keep in mind you also have X amount of energy to dedicate to the climate crisis. And if all of that is going into guilt and your personal choice, and let's say you are someone that's really leaning into this situation of eco-guilt and doing the most that you can because you feel like folks around you aren't doing what they should be doing, can you allot some of that energy to educating those people? Can you allot some of that energy to the smaller motivations around, again, local politics, getting folks involved in a community group where perhaps sustainability isn't the main focus, but it's something that you can weave into the conversation. How can you lean into your other habits and your other hobbies and the other things in your life that bring you joy and just slowly start 
reassigning some of the energy you put into your eco guilt. I'm obviously not a therapist or a psychologist or an expert on eco guilt in any space, but I do live with this. I do host this show. I do work in this space. And I really have come to realize that the more and more we speak about these feelings and the more and more we are upfront and transparent about our emotions around the climate crisis, the more validated they are and also the more at peace we will be with them. Self-enlightenment really comes with that community enlightenment. And I think that goes back very full circle. That personal action is just as important as that collective action. You are not the only person that's feeling this eco-guilt or this eco-anxiety. You are not the only person that wants to do something more about it. And you're also not the only person that deserves some peace around the subject. Talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors, but also give yourself some grace. Say, it's okay if every once in a while I produce some trash. It's okay if I take an extra flight than I was anticipating this year. It's not always going to be the perfect solution. And there's, again, really no such thing as a perfect environmentalist. I am a big believer that progress is where my happiness comes from on a personal level. I want to know that I am learning and growing. And the only way that I can do that in my environmental space is by giving myself that grace and saying, you're doing great, patting myself on the back and growing little by little. Again, progress over perfection. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it brought you some clarity, some peace, and I hope it felt like a warm hug because I've been really excited to talk about this with y'all. If you did, give this episode a thumbs up. You can share it on your Instagram story. I am all over social media. All my links are in the show notes. So Instagram, TikTok, my email is down there if you ever have a suggestion for an episode or a guest or something you'd like to learn about. I always like to know what you want to hear. With that, thanks so much for tuning in and I will talk to you next week. Love ya. If collective action and personal action are both just as important in seeing climate solutions come to fruition, what does that mean for your eco-guilt? I'm not going to tell you it doesn't matter because eco-guilt, to some extent, is a motivator. It helps you make those choices day to day. It's you choosing to be the best, most environmentally conscious version of yourself and really speaking your values into existence. But recognizing that collective action is just as important as personal action and vice versa means that there's also a limit to your ego guilt, or perhaps you should self-inflict a limit to this ego guilt. I know that's easier said than done, and a lot of ego guilt is perhaps because you feel like the folks around you aren't making the quote-unquote right choices for the environment. Perhaps you feel like you're making up for something else or someone else. But self-inflicting a boundary around eco-guilt and self-imposing these limits of where your environmentalism stops, so to speak, is going to be important for your mental health. We can't do it all, and we're never going to win, and there's never a point where your eco-guilt is satisfied. You feel like you are the perfect environmentalist and you've done everything that there is to do. There's not really anything you can do to alleviate those feelings of guilt and anxiety when it comes to these, again, self-inflicted, self-defined standards for environmental goodness. There is a level of awareness and comfort that you have to come to, and I know, again, easier said than done, but there's a point where you have to say, I have done enough. I've done my research on this company and I am buying this product in good faith. I've done everything I can to encourage my local politics to do X, Y, and Z, and I am going to continue doing my own thing or doing what I can, given the constraints of my community. 
There's something very preachy about saying give yourself grace when it comes to environmentalism, but I kind of like to relate this environmental goodness or these standards that we self-inflict to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There's a point where you have to reach this enlightenment where you say, I get it. I know I've done enough. I know that I'm good enough and I'm at peace with it. And if someone out there is like, Laura, what are you talking about? We're not doing enough. The climate commitments that we have made are just not going to be met. 2.5 degrees C is around the corner. And my friends, I get it. I think about climate change all day, every day. I have these feelings of eco guilt and eco anxiety. But let me tell you, my life got exponentially better when I came to peace with what my personal actions meant for the larger picture of the climate crisis. I'm not saying give up. I'm not saying stop doing what you're doing. I'm telling you that you are doing a great job and progress over perfection every day. A little bit of pressure is good. A little bit of pressure motivates you to do better But where we are now, where you are now, I promise you're doing the best that you can possibly be doing, given the information, given the constraints, given everything that you have going on. Let's keep in mind you also have X amount of energy to dedicate to the climate crisis. And if all of that is going into guilt and your personal choice, and let's say you are someone that's really leaning into this situation of eco guilt and doing the most that you can because you feel like folks around you aren't doing what they should be doing. Can you allot some of that energy to educating those people? Can you allot some of that energy to the smaller motivations around, again, local politics, getting folks involved in a community group where perhaps sustainability isn't the main focus, but it's something that you can weave into the conversation? How can you lean into your other habits and your other hobbies and the other things in your life that bring you joy and just slowly start reassigning some of the energy you put into your eco-guilt. I'm obviously not a therapist or a psychologist or an expert on eco-guilt in any space, but I do live with this. I do host this show. I do work in this space. And I really have come to realize that the more and more we speak about these feelings and the more and more we are upfront and transparent about our emotions around the climate crisis, the more validated they are and also the more at peace we will be with them. Self-enlightenment really comes with that community enlightenment. And I think that goes back very full circle. That personal action is just as important as that collective action. You are not the only person that's feeling this eco-guilt or this eco-anxiety. You are not the only person that wants to do something more about it. And you're also not the only person that deserves some peace around the subject. Talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors, but also give yourself some grace Say, it's okay if every once in a while I produce some trash. It's okay if I take an extra flight than I was anticipating this year. It's not always going to be the perfect solution. And there's, again, really no such thing as a perfect environmentalist. I am a big believer that progress is where my happiness comes from on a personal level. I want to know that I am learning and growing. And the only way that I can do that in my environmental space is by giving myself that grace and saying, you're doing great, patting myself on the back and growing little by little. Again, progress over perfection. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it brought you some clarity, some peace, and I hope it felt like a warm hug because I've been really excited to talk about this with y'all. If you did, give this episode a thumbs up. You can share it on your Instagram story. I am all over social media. All my links are in the show notes. So Instagram, TikTok, my email is down there if you ever have a suggestion for an episode or a guest or something you'd like to learn about. I always like to know what you want to hear. 
With that, thanks so much for tuning in and I will talk to you next week. Love ya. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.